everyone, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com, podcasting to you from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And welcome to the second audio blog, which is the recording of my very first, and you never know, possibly my very last, appearance on a live radio show where I was being interviewed by Leon Pittard of Fair Dinkum Radio, down under in Australia, at uh, fairdinkumradio.com in which I was given the opportunity to share my journey towards faith from atheism into Christianity and how my life experience to date led me to start The Mind Renewed. And we also took the opportunity to look at how some elements of biblical prophecy with regard to the end times relates to what seems to be shaping up in the world around us today. And I simply thought you might like to hear it. There was movement round Australia as I gathered from far and near to listen to old mate Leon on the radio, loud and clear. He spoke about a foreign invasion that has gone to the top job in the land. They were after our farms, our fish and our trees, so he called for the resistance to stand. They called in from way out west and even from a trawler right up in the Gulf was old mate Bill, Ringer, and Julie, Aussies making a stand. He spoke about God and what it means to be true blue. They could hardly believe his story. Are you fair dinkum and true? He even reads out of their own documents, you know, and shows how they've sold us right out. So put the billy on Australia and gather around the radio on Thursday night for the resistance. It's the Fair Dinkum Radio Show. Come on, Jess, we better crank up the Jenny. The show's about to start. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We have been... uh, Our server's having problems on the streaming server. I don't know what's going on, and I know we've lost a couple of hundred people over the last few hours that have come and gone. But anyway, we are back up and running now. I know there's a couple of you logged back in. But thank you for joining us for our fourth hour of Fair Income Radio. My name is Leon Pittard. We are broadcasting from the land down under in Australia. Thank you for your time from wherever you are listening worldwide. And if you are listening to this as a podcast after the show, uh, we appreciate your time and hope that our time together can be uh, fruitful for you in some way. My next guest is Julian Charles of Mind Renewed. He joins us from England in the United Kingdom. Uh, The meme on his website is thinking Christianly in a new world order. And I'm mindful of the text in Romans 12 too that says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And obviously this is a theme that he is very interested in. Julian Charles, welcome to Fair Income Radio down here in Australia. Hello, Leon. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Thank you for joining us, friend. Uh, you, we, you are broadcasting out of your home country in the United Kingdom. Tell us, what is the weather like over there at the moment? Well, actually, the weather is not that wonderful today. Yesterday and the day before, really sunny, very pleasant. But today, I'm afraid it's all clouded over. Um, I suppose you might call it a typical UK day for this time of year. Although, actually, strictly speaking, it should be because it's we're in April, it should be raining. But it's not raining, so it's, it's better than it could be. <laughs> 
Well, it sounds like it's uh, fairly typical of what us Aussies understand England to be, pretty gloomy. And nevertheless, uh, look, we're glad to glad to have you here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation um, our conversation this evening. Thank you. Julian, to, to begin uh, with, uh, give, give introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, I actually come to know of you through a mutual friend of ours in James Corbett, uh-huh. and you did have him uh, on your show um, just recently, and yeah. of course, I listen to James as the way these connections take place. But tell us a little bit about Julian Charles, um, about your story, your family, and how you come to actually um, start your website. Okay, right. Well, um, this could be a very long story, so I'll try not to bore you too much. I was uh, born, I was born in the UK. I was born in Reading, um, uh, but I'm not actually brought up there. I was brought up on the south coast in a uh, coastal town called Swanage where my dad ran a small hotel, um, I say small, about 20 rooms, something like that. I had a very normal upbringing, really, except, I suppose, for in the winter, when the hotel was all shut down, and it was it was a bit like The Shining, you know, where you didn't want to walk around those cold, dark rooms too much, but uh, I, th- I think I was, I was undamaged by the experience. Uh, my parents were involved in the local operatic society, and uh, so I got to have a love of music. I started learning violin, piano, started composing music. And uh, in fact, when I was a, uh, it's very much a juvenile work, but I did write an opera as <laughs> with a friend at school. It was never performed, just as well it was never performed. And anyway, so uh, I went to study music at uh, London University and... Uh, Took a break after that to train to teach music in high school. Went back to university, specialised in composition, and then started to write music for a living back in the 1990s for a few years. And then, like 99% of all composers, I ended up uh, not being able to do that anymore because my, my name was no longer the the, the in thing. So um, I returned to teaching. So I'm now teaching in, in Lancashire in schools on and off. And uh, throughout that whole time... Um, at the university time anyway, I also trained to be a lay preacher in the Methodist church. So I've been preaching now for about 15 years. Um, at one point I did consider going into the ministry. Um, I did a couple of years training towards that, but decided for a number of reasons that that wasn't for me. I and mean, one of the reasons was I wasn't very happy about the way the Methodist church was uh, becoming so liberal and I am an evangelical. So that, you know, I didn't see eye to eye with that. Uh, what else can I say about me? Um, leading towards the the website, um, well, this this is another even longer story. So I don't know whether you were, <laughs> you, you want to hear the whole of this this story. Well, uh, this involves very, my testimony. You see, yeah. Well, it's very interesting that uh, you say you 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 know originally from uh, obviously from the Methodist faith, mm. and and I, I guess what makes I guess my mind questions here um you know i myself have come from a background of uh some uh traditional religious background um and it it leads to the conversation of i guess how uh you become more aware of uh what was taking place uh, around us in the world uh which really you know could be I guess your testimony leading to the story of your website, because obviously, when you start a website, you've got to have something to say. Sure. And you know, we have to have a uh, a testimony of uh, of some depth in uh, when we go public, and that's what obviously I realised also when I started my website is that um, you know 
you, you need to have a message to uh, to tell our fellow uh, fellow human beings and creation, and obviously um, that you do. So tell us a little bit about uh, you know I guess yeah from where you are from where you left off up to the decision to start your own website and what was behind that decision. Yeah, okay. So um, I think I'll go back then to give my testimony because that very much feeds into this. So I said right in the beginning that I was brought up in the Methodist Church, uh, but I did actually reject Christianity like so many people do when I became a teenager. I mean, I, I look back on those days when I was, you know, about I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that sort of time, and realized that I did actually get a great deal out of that experience. I got to, obviously, I got to hear the gospel. I got to know some really great people, but you know, I, I chucked it in when I became a teenager. I got very interested in uh, people like Carl Sagan and uh, Richard Dawkins and their, their presentations of an atheistic worldview. And, you know, my typical sort of uh, arrogance as a teenager that appealed to me, you know, so because I, I thought that while I was thinking along the lines of some of the most influential people in the world. So, you know, I'm like Richard Dawkins, you know, I don't believe in this silly God business, you know. Um, and so uh, that went on through my teenage years until I went to university, and then I was uh, befriended by a chap called Jamie, who had himself recently become a Christian, and he basically just uh, testified to me that God had entered his consciousness, his life, and that he believed in Christ, and uh, was just argued with me all the time. <laughs> it was quite amazing, really. And I had all these arguments which were you know, intellectual, what I considered to be intellectual objections to the Christian faith. And there was an amazing moment when he said to me, well, look, what you need to do is to speak to my friends. So I said, okay, I'll speak to your friends. Who are they? And th this was an amazing moment because he said to me, well, these friends are all um, science and engineering students at Imperial College, and they're all Christians, and they'll be quite prepared to come and talk to you. So he actually set up a kind of question and answer session where there were these three scientists, two astronomers and one electrical engineer. And I sat the other side of these tables and was able to just put my questions and objections. And it was an amazing experience because they weren't, obviously weren't able to answer all my questions, but they made me realize that I wasn't on firm ground in my atheism and that really it was more to do with my arrogance than it was to do with my genuine intellectual objections to the Christian faith. So, you know, I read my Bible and I asked God if he was there and lots of other things happened in my life. And so I became a Christian in 1986 and made that commitment to Christ. Now, the story continues because I still had these questions that were in my mind. As I say, those guys didn't sort everything out for me. And one of the big questions, which is the case with many people, is the evolution creation debate kind of questions. You know, how come nature is red in tooth and claw? Um... Is is it true that God used evolution? Is evolution actually completely false? Are we to take uh, Genesis 1 to 3 absolutely literally? All these questions were going through my mind. So I read a lot of creationist literature, six-day creationist, young earth kind of literature. I read you know, Henry Morris, um, a lot of books by Arthur Ernest Wilder Smith. And I read a book by Malcolm Bowden called Ape Men, Fact or Fallacy. And I have to say... And this may be a disappointment to some people, I don't know, but I wasn't actually persuaded by the, the six-day creationist literature, although I, re I remain open, I remain um, prepared to listen to good arguments, but I wasn't actually persuaded by what I read at the time, and a lot of material also from the Portsmouth um, creation science movement. So I, I actually wrote to Malcolm Bowden, the guy who wrote this Eight Men Fact or Fallacy, and he wrote back to me pretty quickly and said, well, look, the problem is not the science, the problem is the philosophy. 
And what you really need to do is to recognize that evolutionism is a philosophy fundamentally rather than a scientific thing. You need to go and speak to a guy called Brian Austin, who runs a Christian bookshop in Camden Town in London with his wife, Christine. So I, I took him up on that advice and I went over to Camden Town and visited Brian. And again, this is another pivotal point in my life because Brian was this, you know, this really modest, low-key thinker, Christian thinker, great thinker, really. And he and his wife did loads of work uh, amongst down and outs and people who were into the cults, new age, people like that. And I went to visit him and he sat me down um, and just lectured to me for about two hours at a time. Gave me a cup of coffee, just lectured to me. And this, I, this happened about three times. I was only in his company about five or six hours. And he introduced me to the works of uh, Francis Schaeffer, the Presbyterian theologian. And he basically gave me this kind of broad brushstroke of a Christian worldview and made me realize that the evolutionist philosophy is diametrically opposed to the Christian worldview. So whether one has any, any questions about the science is, is, in a sense, a kind of secondary issue. You have to rec I had to recognize that it was basically an opposed worldview and so to be very skeptical of evolutionism as such. So this led me to read a lot of Schaeffer's works and I came to realize that the big issue for today in the in the West particularly is that we had moved from a general worldview where we believed in absolute truth, that absolute truths exist, to one of radical relativism and subjectivism. And um, along with that, um, a, a giving in, a kind of loss of nerve where we give in to collectivist thoughts and com communitarian ideas as well. And that this therefore made us open and prime targets for manipulation by uh, ruling elites. And in fact, Brian Austin, um, whose voice actually appears at the beginning of some of my podcasts, he, he's now passed on to the Lord, actually, a few years ago. But um, he introduced me to the reality of the New World Order. And this was back in 1989, something like that. He, he said that all, all this, this evolutionist, um, relativistic, humanistic worldview is leading us towards a new world order. Well, he actually said global governance. And uh, so that really um, became, I became keenly aware of that at that time, how all of this humanistic thought was almost inexorably leading us towards this position of global governance. And so, I mean, a lot of people talk about, you know, going down the rabbit hole, <laughs> coming to realize that these kinds of things are going on in the world. But for me, going down the rabbit hole was, was coextensive with my coming to faith in Christ. And so I've always seen that as the same thing, really, that the, the, the paradigm shift that we really, we really need in, in the world is for people to come to realize that, yeah, the world is full of nasty conspiracies I mean, it, because human beings are, are sinful. Um, but the way for us to be free of that is to recognize that we are creatures and that we have a creator uh, to whom we should be related. And that in him, we find all our value, all our worth, all our strength. And that, I think, uh, is, is the great paradigm shift that, that we really need. Um, and in fact, I was listening to something that you were saying a few minutes ago, just before I came on air, and it chimed very much with something I thought I might say about this paradigm shift. Um, my view of 
of this is that humanity's tendency, human beings' tendency, is to try to find a way to sort out the world's problems by um, thinking in what I call an essentially astrological way. And if we look back at the history of how astrology has been so influential in the world, we find that there's an attitude of trying to get the world right by, as it were, gazing into the sky and trying to conform the world to the pattern that we see in the sky. You know, the occultists put it um, as above, so below. Um, if we can find the right principle, the world will work better. And we find this kind of astro astrological mentality in the modern world, where in so many ways we must conform society to the best principles that we can discern, like the best economic principle, the best technocratic principle, the best political utopia, the, you know, the internet of things, let's say, will be the, the principle that will sort out all our problems, or science is looking for the theory of everything that will explain all things. And these are seen to be first principles. If only we can get hold of these principles, conform society to it, then everything will, be, will work out well. Now, the problem is that all of those supposed first principles are actually not the first principle. They are secondary principles, because it's very clear to me that the first principle is Christ, is God, is, is the Logos, as it says in the book of John, that is you know, the, the rational principle behind all things. And the crucial point is that this God is personal. Now, all those principles that we, uh, we, we think are going to sort the world's problems out, or humanity is tempted to think will sort the, problem, the problems of the world out, they are all impersonal. They are all inflexible. And so long as we have those secondary principles as what we think are the first principle, we're going to end up with people being radically hurt and by trying to fit everything into those utopianisms. But if we have our, our recognition that the first principle is Christ, we have a loving relationship with Christ, we recognize that this, this is our transcendent first principle in whom we have this with whom we have this relationship, then that can govern everything correctly because then we have flexibility, we have relation, we have love, we have transcendent value, we have inalienable human rights, as one might say, that governs all of these other principles. But I do fear that it is this, this astrological worldview that everybody, so many people seem to have, that we are t as human beings we tend to have, that um, we can have these utopias, we can have these... Um, these inflexible uh, solutions to the world problem, world's problems. And I very much see this movement towards global governance as being the epitome of this kind of thinking. This is the, sense, this is the system. This is how we can control everything. We can make things work better. But in the absence of a loving creator, my view is that this is going to lead us to hell on earth, frankly. Um, so around 1990-ish, I... Um, Around this time, I started listening to uh, Radio Liberty with uh, Stan Monteith, and so, ma so many of the things that he was saying, and still says today, of course, um, very much chimed with all of this. And then in later years, I started listening to the Corbett Report. You mentioned James Corbett, and there are a number of other things that also <laughs> moved me in the direction of starting the website. Another one that many, many people talk about, of course, was 9-11. Um, when 9-11 first happened, I remember watching the footage of these planes going into the, the towers. And because I had this, this background and the things that I've just been talking about, my initial reaction to that, when I think back at it, was this is a staged event. But like so many people, I put that to the back of my mind. Um, 
and just went along with with everything and you know just i took it as a kind of intuitive thing oh yeah i just thought this is a strange kind of almost like a cinematic staged event but surely not no i put it to the back of my mind but then years later when i came to see buildings that number seven come down you know as so many people have said that was that was the moment that was the smoking gun and, and that reopened that question for me good heavens was my initial intuition about this right after all no i'm not saying 100 percent that that is correct but it opened up that question to me very you know in a very sort of sore way um another thing that had a big, big impact on the motivation to create the, the podcast was also um, the supposed assassination of Osama bin Laden in 2011. Because from what I'd read, what I'd heard over the years, uh, bin Laden had died in 2001. And I was quite convinced, you know, that that was a very good case that had been made. He was no longer with us. And then all of a sudden we were told, we've got him. <laughs> and it was a very strange thing because I didn't hear this on the radio or on the, the, see it on the TV initially. I heard it first from my wife because she was out in the garden doing some gardening. She was talking to the next door neighbor. The next door neighbor had said to her, have you heard that we, we have got uh, Osama bin Laden? She said, oh, good heavens, is that so? And I just happened to wander out into the, into the garden a couple of minutes after her conversation. She said to me, have you heard the news? No, we've got Osama bin Laden. And I just stood there dumbfounded. And my reaction, of course, was, what, we've got him again? <laughs> you know, he's, he's been gone a decade. And then there was all this business then of him being buried at sea, all the contradictory stories about that, about what happened that day. The story kept changing, the ridiculous video, I think, anyway, of him watching himself on television that was released. Um, and the, the narrative of that seems to fit very much with what the, um, <laughs> you know, the military intelligence wants to say. I can't think what narrative it fits to with respect to bin Laden himself. But there he is watching himself on TV so for all of us to see, but not being able to see his face. And I just thought, it was really at that moment, I, I really, really dawned on me, we are actually living in a world of lies here now. Um, I mean, I knew that, but you know, there's a point where it becomes existential for you. Uh, I really am living in this world of lies. And it brought all of this business about what I've been talking about, you know, Brian Austin, Francis Schaeffer, all that. it really brought it back to me in a big way. And I was, I was reminded of something that Francis Schaeffer had said, right back in 1976 and if i may um i'll read a quote from his book because this is exactly the thing that came to my mind this is from his book how should we then live from 1976 in chapter 12 which is called manipulation and the new elite so if it's all right with you leon may i just read this little part of the chapter okay he said i think quite prophetically he said quote and as we consider the coming of an elite and authoritarian state to fill the vacuum left by the loss of Christian principles, we must not think naively of the models of Stalin and Hitler. We must think rather of a manipulative authoritarian government with an elite providing the arbitrary absolutes, not just TV, but the general apparatus of the mass media can be a vehicle for manipulation. There is no need for collusion or a plot. All that is needed is that the worldview of the elite and the worldview of the central news media coincide. We must not think of an overnight change, but rather the subtle trend by the leadership towards greater control and manipulation of the individual. What of tomorrow, he says. In the United States, for example, a manipulating authoritarian government could come from the administrative side or from the legislative side. 
as the memory of the Christian consensus which gave us freedom within the biblical form increasingly is forgotten, a manipulating authoritarianism will tend to fill the vacuum. The central message of the biblical Christianity is the possibility of men and women appro approaching God through the work of Christ. But the message also has secondary results, among them the unusual and wide freedoms which biblical Christianity gave to countries where it supplied the consensus. When these freedoms are separated from the Christian base, however, they become a force of destruction leading to chaos. At that point, the words left or right will make no difference. There are only two roads to the same end. There is no difference between an authoritarian government from the right or the left. The results are the same. An elite, an authoritarianism as such, will gradually force form on society so that it will not go on to chaos. And most people will accept it. From the desire for personal peace and affluence, from apathy and from the yearning for order to assure the functioning of some political system, business and the affairs of daily life. Unquote. And those words came tumbling back to me. Good heavens. He was absolutely right. And I see yeah. here, right in front of my eyes here, when I actually did go to the TV and there's Barack Obama coming on saying that. And I just think, I don't believe you. I actually don't believe this. You haven't given me any really good evidence to believe this. Am I now the victim in my experience of this very manipulative elite that Francis Schaeffer was talking about all those years ago? And it was at that point I thought, I've got to say something about this. You know, in general, I've actually got to be a person, you know, like you guys out there, looking at the world, yep. saying, this is going on and sharing it with other people. Great work. And uh, it's wonderful news. And as you were speaking and, and sharing your story there, my mind goes back to 1986. Um, and in my uh, case, I was under uh, extreme conviction in uh, 1984, I was actually a rodeo cowboy. I'd been a rodeo cowboy for some five years. And a good friend of mine got killed by a bull uh, at a rodeo, and, or the result of a, a bull accident at a rodeo. And uh, I went to his funeral, and um, it was at that funeral that God spoke to me. And um, I was convinced in my mind that the first thing was to stop doing what I was doing. And um, I left the sport of rodeo and went out into the bush and I had a question about whether or not God existed and I worked on a remote uh, cattle station and uh, basically owned nothing except uh, a dog and a, my swag and a bed and, and I went searching for God and I got a Bible and uh, I spent two years out there and I was out there in 1985 and 1986 and I come out after 1986 uh, realizing and understanding that God did exist, mm. that there was a creator of the universe. I am a believer in uh, the six-day creation, although there is some questions that, and like you, I remain open. But there is there is some questions that maybe we will never know the answers to. But I do have confidence and faith in in that record. Of course, in opposition to the evolutionary concept. Mm. But Julian, what Really, and there's so many things you've spoken on there that we could spend hours on, but I guess for our listeners um, and in, in, the, in the interest of sharing together, what I, it wasn't just knowledge that I came out of my, I guess what you could call conversion experience with. It wasn't just knowledge. It was actually a complete transformation of my life. 
um, the things that I once loved, I had no interest in anymore. And I realized, as you have uh, clearly outlined, that the system uh, that I had believed in before and I was talking about the world, the social systems that exist, the, the, the different uh, societies that, and churches and religions or whatever. Um, governments, it is a system of lies. And I did come out of that situation and actually went uh, and got involved in several different um, uh, religions. Um, but at this, at this time in my life, I do not belong to any religion or any, any denomination, but I hold very um, strong faith in my creator and at the plan of salvation as he's outlined in the Bible. But I guess what I would like to share with you, which I detect your sharing also, is that the power of the gospel is the fact that it's not just a knowledge of corruption. It's just a, it's not get, not just gaining a greater knowledge of all the different degrees of corruption, and we deal with that enough in in the work that uh, that I do and we we do in the media. But it's to give people hope and an understanding that there is a, a scientific uh, answer that couples with knowledge in a knowledge of the true God, and and that what what that scientific answer is for me it is. I know that the power of the gospel works in my life. I know what he has done in my life in the past and today. And I live for that experience. As I mentioned in our opening uh, text, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. And that transformation Mm. can only take place when we consent when we just as the world wants us to consent through hypnotism and through all these different means to conforming to the world's system of beliefs which is as you've said lies Mm. it's all lies our heavenly father uh, gave us a gift of his son he said i'm not only going to pay for your sins to be forgiven but i'm going to give you power to actually change to actually transform your life and that to me, Julian, which I detect for you, is the greatest news. And that's the hope we've got to give many people that don't have hope, that yeah. only see the corruption, that only see the lies and the darkness. We've got to show them that there is the true light, the true source is from our Heavenly Father, the Creator, Yahweh, through his Son that he mm-hmm. sent to the world. Absolutely. And one thing that I would like to clear up um, is that I have said that I'm a Methodist, and I'm a, lo- a local preacher, as we're called in the Methodist Church, but that doesn't mean that I'm um, I'm a Methodist through and through. In fact, I have been. It doesn't mean you of, can find that box. No, exactly. I, I tend to be Wesleyan in my theology. Um, yeah. you know, th- things like, for example, I believe in free will. I don't think we're predestined one way or the other. Things like that. Um, but I've been members of all sorts of different churches, and in fact, I preach in different congregations. You know, URC, Anglican, wherever really anybody wants me. So I, I don't feel that I'm inside some sort of box in that sense at all. Um, 
But uh, yeah, as you say, I use do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds on my about page, which of course reflects what I say, um, the mind renewed, <laughs> thinking Christianly in a, a new world order. And you're quite right. When I say thinking Christianly in a new world order, this is not a purely intellectual thing, because I think that when the Christian faith is approached as a purely intellectual matter, then I can, it, can be, it can be just like what I was saying, it can be of another principle rather than a loving relationship with God, which is you know, who is the first principle. It can be making a second principle secondary principle into the first principle which i think is you know is, is a great error isn't christianity is not just an intellectual thing although it is an intellectual matter and francis Schaeffer very uh, definitely said christianity is a philosophy but it's not just a philosophy there is this relationship and this and this renewal of the person the transformation of the individual which must take place and the bible you know john's gospel talks about it being born again which is a much misunderstood word you know people often think about born again christianity as being a certain brand of christianity which of course it isn't it is it is being born of the spirit well i've used the terminology i shouldn't really use it should i to to try and explain what it means it's being um um well actually it's 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 being recreated by the holy spirit now this is a unfortunately this is a um an eschatological concept which is often lost in people's viewing of the bible but the, the the bible is an eschatological well all of it but particularly the new testament is the eschatology has to do with the end times and it has been said that the new testament is in fact eschatology writ large when you read the new testament you're supposed to read it as if everything's pointing towards the end and the end is god's kingdom uh, which is otherwise called the new heavens and the new earth in scripture which is where god actually renews the whole of creation one day which he does of course by the power of his spirit now when we are when we become christians we are born again we actually receive the indwelling or the special relationship with god's spirit that process then of becoming fit for that new heavens and new earth begins now paul says we are new creations Obviously, we're not. That's not all completed now. This, as I say, is an eschatological concept. It has started now, but that is our goal. The, the Holy Spirit has started to change us morally, but also changed our thinking and our relationship with God. And that is a process then that continues through to the eventual kingdom where we are completely transformed. In fact, we're resurrected. Um, and well, this this, yeah. this mm -hmm. process is also... Um, outlined in the creation that he's given us in nature. I mean, when we look at uh, at, at growing our food, uh, we, yeah. you know, a seed goes in the ground and uh, a seed has to die before it, it basically is born again. It goes into the ground and it, it sustains uh, water and moisture and sunlight and, mm. and the nutrients from the soil and it, and it grows. And, and so, you know, like a, that similarly to us, is is in, in in being born again, but we one thing I wanted to ask you about Julian and and talking about the way that we observe um, things taking place around us, um, the the internet, the the media, uh, and some of the terminology that's used. And I just finished a a podcast. You shall have no other gods before me, and I talked about the gods of energy, the gods of source, and the gods of wisdom, and. I'd encourage you or any of our listeners to listen to that because what I'm going to, uh, what I'd like to ask your uh, comment on here is that you were alluding originally to the fact that we are living in a a society that has basically been sold a lie uh, in all these different areas of life, 
and 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 it is a a society that has largely been hypnotised. Um, we know that Edward Bernays said that, you know, those that uh, manipulate the media behind the scenes, they are the real ruling power, you know, behind sure. behind society. And so we see that society is basically intaking this uh, diet of of um, what they're told to believe. And yet, at the same time, um, like many of uh, those of the evolutionary type thinking, uh, a lot of people can be sold on this, uh, on an intellectual salvation apart from uh, Christ. In other words, by leaving God out of it, there's an intellectual ability to gain uh, wisdom through esoteric knowledge of mysteries, etc., in all of these different areas of life, which is, I think, one of the reasons you possibly began your website so that there could be uh, a Christian commentary uh, on New World Order events um, like as I am here doing so that there is, um, at, which I think has to a large extent uh, been left out in the commentary uh, across the world. There has been, I think, a lack of uh, true uh, Christian commentary in regards to the end game and what we are facing with real issues in our society, the social breakdown, yeah. family, uh, family breakdown, uh, all, all the box and dice. And I just wonder if you could comment on that, on that, um, on that thought that there are so many different teachings out there that are in some ways, one in one way appealing to people's feelings, in another way appealing to the intellect for the more thinkers. And there's so many different, I'm aware of what Paul says that, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to the seducing spirits mm. and yeah. doctrines of devils. And these yeah. these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils are rife all around us uh, in so many different ways. Well, you're absolutely right. You're very perceptive. That is indeed one of the main motivations between start, uh, for starting my podcast. Um, I would say that there are two main motivations, really. One is that I am, obviously I'm concerned that many fellow Christians don't seem to realize what's going on, don't seem to realize that there is this pattern of lies which we are living under. And I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that everything is lies, but, you know, there's a sufficient um, oppressive grid of lies there that we need to be aware of, otherwise we're not going to be living the, the, the fruitful life that we're supposed to be living. And I think that many Christians are not aware of that, and they just accept what the media tells them about, all sorts of things. And I'm, I, you know, I'm very concerned that when I bring up anything in conversation, and I'm sure many other Christians bring up conversation with other with other Christians, uh, that there's this idea that, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist, which is a term I absolutely hate, you know. Um, and I think so many people don't realize that they are, in their thinking, victims of social engineering in that respect. Um, many people have questions, uh, but we need to have that freedom to be able to talk about things which society says we shouldn't talk about. So, um, you know, that, what's one major motivation? I want to create a space in which these questions can be looked at. And I suppose this, in a sense, this is a pastoral thing, really. And I remember one thing that uh, Paul Craig Roberts did about this um, you know, when Osama bin Laden was supposedly assassinated, he, he he came out saying he didn't agree with this. And I remember him on one program saying he had to speak out about it just to help people feel sane. People needed to hear that there was somebody else saying, 
I have questions about this as well. And so that's a major uh, reason why I want to do this. But the second reason, which touches on what you were saying there, really, is that I am really concerned that so many people in the what we call the, the truth movement um, see this kind of conformity and this this closeness amongst religious people, not prepared to think outside the box. And as a consequence of that, they reject Christianity. They reject Christ, which is the, the, the crucial thing here. And they, they see Christians and believers in Christ as part of the problem. And uh, so then they turn to things like, as you say, mysticism, the new age, as if those are going to give the answers and th th they're going to supply the new paradigm shift that we need. And to be quite honest, I don't think that is the paradigm shift that we need. In fact, I think that's the age, well, it's what um, Aldous Huxley called the perennial philosophy, the pantheistic idea. This is nothing new, yeah. absolutely nothing new whatsoever. And in fact, you know, when you think of the, the history of the world, it's, it's the, the Christianity, which is this radically new, Christ himself, this radically new you individual with this um, radical message. This is the paradigm shift that we really need. And I, f I find it so ironic that so many people are turning towards new age type beliefs when actually if you look into some of the main key players in new age thinking, I'm thinking particularly here of Alice Bailey, they actually called for a new world order. They actually called for a one world system with the adepts, the, the, the ones who really know, the ones who are spiritually mature but the ones who should, should actually be in charge as a kind of ruling elite of a one world system. That's the new age. And I fear that so many people are actually falling into that trap. So, again, I absolutely agree. This is one of the main motivations behind the site, to the, the podcast, to say, look, here is a, um, a Christian worldview, um, a Christian person concerned about these things. And I'm looking at it all from a Christian worldview. And this, I believe, is the paradigm shift that we all need to recognize that we are, that we are true value comes from this creator uh, who owns all this world. And his new world order, if you like, fundamentally will be his kingdom when it eventually comes. That's the real new world order. This other new world order that we, we seem to be pushed towards now is the false one. And of course, this will lead us towards what's prophesied in uh, the book of Revelation. Absolutely. Well, let's, um, let's, let's talk about some of these things. I mean, let, we can see that there is, uh, with the internet, there is obviously plenty of information everywhere. You can get information about any subject at all. Uh, and yet, after two years of uh, <clears throat> isolated uh, contemplation, prayer, searching, wondering, I come out with a, an understanding of really it was a foundation that was built in my life over that two-year period of what the Bible taught. And particularly as I studied through the book of Revelation, there was a lot of uh, things I did not comprehend and there's still a lot of questions I have. Mm. Uh, and, and I like, that's the way I think, we will probably always be that uh, I, I take it that I am always take the avenue that I'm always a learner and uh, I'm, I'm here to learn and I, I pray for wisdom and understanding uh, in all these things. But in the book of Revelation, we 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 see an end game um, being portrayed and, and without, you know, obviously we haven't got time to to go deeply into that. But mm. in, in that end game, we, we do see that there is. Uh, there are systems there called beast powers that are seeking to conform society uh, into worship or obedience 
that's called worship uh, in a certain way. If we go back to the book of Daniel, we can see that there was parallels with uh, the king demanding that all the people there bow down and worship this golden image that was on this plain of Dura. And he said, if you don't worship this image, you know, um, you know, you're going to die. And there was people that were brave enough not to worship the image and uh, they didn't die because uh, the God of heaven saved them So from, from death. So if we transform that into uh, the book of Revelation and we see that there is a similar type end game pictured where the buying and selling would be restricted and, and eventually there would be a, uh, a death penalty as, as, as such. Now, you know, even if you don't believe um, in Yahweh, the creator, as, as I do and as you do, or in his son who he gave to as, as the salvation of mankind, if you look at all of the commentary around the media, nearly everyone believes that's coming. And yet here it was portrayed in the Bible thousands of years before William Long. So, Julian, I wonder if you'd like to comment on you know, the overview of what I just presented as the end game. And here we are as media saying to the people, uh, we need to get ready here. We need to prepare. Uh, we've got the answer. We can give you hope. We can give you a promise that says, uh, at that time, my people shall be delivered. Everyone that's found written in the book. You know, so there's so many promises there that we can give people. And yet we do find so much of the media is portraying this end game coming, but they don't have the the answer and the hope that we want to bring to the people. Yes, I find it remarkable that very often these prophecies, and particularly in the book of Revelation, but Revelation 13, as you say, talking about the beasts, um, they are spoken about, they are pointed to. And I get the impression that people give some kind of credence to that prophecy. Um, unbelievers give some kind of credence to that prophecy but in a kind of Nostradamus way. So, yes, there's some truth in that, that the Bible is saying something truth, true here, and yet not giving credence to the rest of what the scriptures teach, which I find is quite remarkable, really, as a, as, as a methodology, just to pick and choose which bits you think have credence. Um, and I think there's a great power here, actually, if one thinks about it rationally, that here is a prophecy or a series of prophecies, you pointed to Daniel as well, and we have material in Paul's letter to the, two letters to the Thessalonians, where it talks about the, all of this points towards a, anyway, a system that will come about with a, an antichristos who will, you know, one who is in the place of and against Christ and against Christians, um, that this system will come about, that if people realize that this, this, these prophecies have value, they look as if they are actually being fulfilled um, well, we don't know when it will be fully fulfilled, of course, but they look as if we look the, the world looks as if it's moving in this direction. If people think rationally about this, I think they would have to say to themselves, "Good heavens, that might mean, therefore, that much of the other material that appears in this this uh, selection of writings, which we call the Bible, might actually have some value as well. Perhaps we should listen to the the whole message that's there." And you're absolutely right. Um, the the view that is in what is in view here as the end game is indeed. A one world system it's very clear from revelation that that's what's in view with um, it's very opposed to God it's especially opposed to Christians where everybody small and great is required to worship the beast of course who re represents um, uh, the devil or the Lucifer or whatever you want to call this uh, um, this 
personal power that's opposed to God. Um, and that unless you're going to sign up, give allegiance to this economic system that's going to be put in place, you are going to have an extremely hard time and be hev- very heavily persecuted and in many cases killed. And this is symbolized, we know, uh, by the the mark on the right hand or on the forehead. It's a very famous passage, of course. Now, one thing about this which concerns me is there's an awful lot, there has been over the years, an awful lot of talk about barcodes and uh, verichip implants and all those sorts of things. And uh, obviously I can't say that that's going to be like that or not going to be like that, but I do think that's a bit of a red herring because it seems very clear to me that the mark on the right hand or on the forehead is an indication of allegiance fundamentally. Um, it clearly brings up uh, the image of the phylactery, the Jewish phylactery, with the little box which um, Jewish people wear on the forehead or on the arm. But you have to remember the straps go down to to the hand through the fingers, so on on the forehead and the and the hand. Well, you had a little bit of scripture inside. You have a little bit of scripture inside the box, which indicates your allegiance to Yahweh. And so. This mark on the right hand of the forehead, it seems pretty clear to me, is saying about an allegiance to a different system, not the physical wearing of any box or anything, but you know that's the image that's there in order to say this is signing up to a system that is against God. Um, and you can't buy or sell, you can't take part in economic life unless you're um, signed up to this system. Um, and in fact, the word mark there could actually mean coinage um, because of the stamping a mark on the Roman coinage. So it could actually mean no one can buy or sell unless he had the coinage of the beast. So this is very clear to my mind. So you have allegiance to a system, to an economic system, and you can't take part in economic life unless you have the coinage of that system. And as to whether this is going to be some kind of implant or anything, to my mind, the ultimate system would have to be biometric. Why, why start implanting people with things when you can just have a system which actually reads off your very biological characteristics, a DNA reader or um, you know, an iris scanner or something like that. You don't need any implants at all. So the ultimate uh, system will be one that just reads off you as you are. And unless you're prepared to take part in that system, you're going to be left out of that system. And it's going to require your complete allegiance. And this, to my mind, makes complete sense. Because if you're going to have a system like this to run the world technocratically in the best way possible, one would think from a um, humanistic point of view, you have to have a total accounting system. You have to know what everybody's doing. You have to have an Internet of Things so that you can account for everything. You have to be able to tax everybody perfectly. You have to get rid of all fraud. Everybody has to be involved in the system if you're not involved in this system then automatically you've got something to hide haven't you you're a tax avoider you see you're somebody who's you see so it's got to be an absolute system so what whether this system this new world order which, which is what we use as a kind of umbrella term for all this whether this actually is the ultimate system i don't know and i don't think anybody else knows we don't know how this this set of prophecies is going to be fulfilled, but I think we need to be absolutely alert to the possibility that it's going in that direction. And I think we are incredibly foolish if we let people say to us, oh, that's just a lot of uh, conspiracy theorizing. Oh, that's just a lot of um, extremist views about religious prophecy. Oh, the book of Revelation is a lot of nonsense and all these things that I've heard. Once we start to realize the book of Revelation is a piece of first century Jewish apocalyptic writing with its own symbolism and terminology, once we start to understand it, it's, an, it's a genuine, genuine 
um, intellectual masterpiece, uh, we, we can read it properly and then say to ourselves, this is telling us something. We need to be aware. We need to keep alert. As Jesus said to us, watch, keep watch. Well, one of the um, one of the indicators that I mean, there are so many different confirmations in the scripture for me about uh, and the unfolding of history as we see it in the present day, as it speaks of in the scripture for me, which is my scientific proof uh, of evidence uh, which confirms the authenticity of the Bible at, but apart from the scientific proof in my mind and in my in my own life but this is connecting the intellect with the actual transformation but one of the things that you, know, you mentioned there and a thing that i talk about a lot on this on my radio show is how the corporate um, systems of the earth are seeking to control all resources and um, all economy and all people and down to all individual will and i'm mindful of um, the verses in Revelation 18 where it talks about the merchants of the earth that would be uh, weeping and mourning uh, over the great system that has collapsed before their very eyes and it says for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore and with the list of merchandise there I've, I've often studied these verses and thought a lot about them and it goes through gold and silver and all of the different items that uh, we would use in life and then it comes right down to the end and it says it gives two classes of men it says and slaves and souls of men and so this has had a profound impact on my life uh, understanding that the corporate systems are seeking to demand obedience which ties in with what you were talking about referring to Revelation 13 where there must be complete obedience uh, required by this system in the end game. Um, and like you said, if you don't have a license, uh, if you don't have ID, mm. if you don't comply in every single way that this uh, the scientific system, which is incorporates the merchants of the earth, obviously you will become an outcast from society and uh, and one of the, uh, I guess, either one of you either are one of the slaves or or souls of men. But Julian, look, it's been great talking to you. We're unfortunately we're out of time, but I'd like to give you uh, two minutes to, um, in closing, to to just uh, direct people to your website and um, and some final closing thoughts. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Um, yes, the website itself then is themindrenewed.com. It's not mindrenewed, as some people have said. It is themindrenewed.com. And the title of the uh, podcast itself is The Mind Renewed, Thinking Christianly in a New World Order. And I have I have a number of interviews there now. I have some episodes. I have some sermons. Um, I have a little audio blog tab just to give a few messages out, which I've not used very much at the moment. But I've had a number of interviews. A number of interviews are uh, scheduled for the uh, near future. Um, I'll just give an indication. I've interviewed Kevin Barrett on 9-11, Niels Harrit on his nanothermite work, uh, Dean Gotcha about the... Hig uh, Hegelianism in um, education, moving us towards a new world order. Um, Chris White talking about Zeitgeist and Agent Aliens Debunked. 
Um, Bobby Gilpin talking about the Mormons, Corey Brackett talking about Aspartame, Stanley Monteith and James Corbett talking about the New World Order, um, had Tony Brown about the Jehovah's Witnesses, Martin Erdman also talking about the New World Order, how the how people within the New World Order thinking used the liberal church during the 20th century to propagandize uh, the U.S. population with the message of global governance, which is very interesting. Um, Eric Karlstrom on the anthropogenic global warming hoax. And in the very near future, I'll be talking to Mark Morano um, on global warming, uh, Vincent McCann on the occult, and uh, Tony Gosling should be coming on to talk about the Bilderberg Group. Um, Professor Andrew, uh, Edgar Andrews to talk about his book, Who Made God, which is a response to the uh, new atheists, as they call themselves. Mark Musser will be coming on talking about his book, Nazi Oaks, um, about commonalities between the Nazi movement and uh, extreme environmentalism. Uh, Tom Secker will be coming on at some point to talk about 7-7. And uh, Patrick Wood has agreed to come on to talk about technocracy, although it's, uh, he's extremely busy at the moment, so I'm not quite sure when that will actually happen. And in the very near future, I'm hoping to release an episode on Osama bin Laden's uh, supposed uh, supposed death in 2011. Well, great work. It sounds like you've got plans uh, well into the future or your calendar is probably a lot fuller than mine. But look, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us, Julian. We appreciate your time and I really hope we can talk again in the future. And by all means, I, I wish above all things that you must prosper and be in good health. Thank you ever so much, Leon, for having me on, and I hope the same for you. May God bless you in your work. There was movement round Australia as they gathered from far and near to listen to old mate Leon on the radio, loud and clear. He spoke about a foreign invasion that has gone to the top job in the land. They were after our farms, our fish and our trees, so he called for the resistance to stand. They called in from way out west and even from a trawler right up in the Gulf was old mate Bill, Ringer and Julie, Aussies making a stand. He spoke about God and what it means to be true blue. They could hardly believe his story. Are you fair dinkum and true? He even reads out of their own documents, you know, and shows how they've sold us right out. So put the billy on, Australia, and gather around the radio on Thursday night for the resistance. It's the Fair Dinkum Radio Show. Come on, Jess, we better crank up the Jenny. The show's about to start. Are you Fair Dinkum? Is a chicken that lips. <laughs> are you Reggie Ditch? Hey Jess, are you True Blue? <laughs> uh, one final question. Are you Fair Income? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Can a kookaburra laugh? <laughs> <laughs>